0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa Namo tassa <coughs> bhagavato arahato Homage to the blessed noble and perfectly enlightened one Adanto the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus-come-one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master and Dharma friends, welcome to our sutra lecture tonight. And we're going to begin as we usually do by chanting the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. You'll find it on the front cover of your sutra text here. And uh, please join me. This is May 26th, Saturday night. We're here in Berkeley, California, looking into the Ten Grounds chapter of the Avatamsaka Sutra, and we've reached the third ground. Um, I'd like to remind everybody, if you would please, take your cell phone and turn it to stun. All right, Scotty and the phasers, turn it to stun. If you're a Trekkie, you know what that means. All right, if you will turn, please, in your texts to page 52 and 53. We're down at the bottom of the page. In English, it's the bottom paragraph. Actually, it's no, that's not correct. It's the third from the bottom. He transcends all thought and form. In the Chinese, it's the fourth line from the bottom. 第下第四 We're going to do the Chinese first and then follow with the English. And tonight we're going to go over to the uh, second paragraph on page 55. Okay, I'm going to put my palms together. You're welcome to join me if you like. Chao Ru uh, Bian oh, that's a typo,
1: 无少所有,
0: okay, 入无少所有, 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 住无所有处, Please
1: turn
0: over page
1: fifty
0: four. Chow Y Che Wu Soyo All right, turn back to page 53. We're going to do the English now. And the English, let's read it all together. Let's do it in unison. Okay, with me, here we go. He transcends all thought and form, destroys all relative thoughts, and does not have various thoughts. He enters boundless emptiness and dwells in the station of boundless empty space. He transcends the station of all boundless empty space, enters boundless consciousness, and dwells in the station of boundless consciousness. He transcends the station of boundless consciousness and enters there being not the slightest thing whatsoever and dwells in the station of nothing whatsoever." He transcends the station of all being nothing whatsoever and dwells in the station of their being neither thought nor non-thought. He only cultivates by according with the Dharma and has no liking or attachment. Okay, I'd like to remind everybody that this is gender-neutral text, so the pronouns you can make male or female as you choose Chinese has a very interesting aspect to it which is um, the word for he is ta the word for she is ta and the word for it is ta <laughs> so there's no gender um, in, expressed in the, in the singular form when you get to plural it's tamen which is just the same it's they Them, there's no he, she, or it. So, this is uh, it makes for some confusion when you translate. On the other hand, it also allows a very uh, expansive view of who who the sutra is talking about. Talking about men, yes. Talking about women, yes. Talking about things, less. But it's talking about bodhisattvas, and the bodhisattvas in the sutra have no facial features you put your face there right so insert your face in that spot and try it out could you fit in this bodhisattva template is the question and the pronouns allow us to do that so women please feel free to use she men feel free to use he as we talk about the bodhisattvas let's look at what we just read together The verb, you'll notice, that occurs four times is 超, to go beyond, to surpass, to excel, to um, leap over. All xiang, and if you're, it's easier to see in the Chinese, because the Chinese is so economical, that there are patterns here. There's a pattern that repeats four times. And I'll point to that as we go. The English is not so easy to tell because the English is... um, This translation is still rough. It's still Chinglish. It's more Chinese than it is English. But that's okay. We're working on it. What does the Bodhisattva do? Well, to understand this, we have to know where, where the Bodhisattva's been. And the Bodhisattva has been in the dhyanas the four states of Chan, meditation, um, that the Japanese used Zen to describe it. The original word was dhyana, and it's a meditative state. It's a trance, but not a trance, the way we think of a trance being numb or dull. It's not. The dhyanas are super alert, super uh, in the senses, but at the same time, transcending the senses. Remember last week we did the octaves on the guitar? To give a sense of what this is. When you enter the dhyanas, one, two, three, and four, on one hand, you're very much there. Your body is sitting right there in the world, as always. But your you could say the senses have been tuned to a new to a new point. That's actually worthwhile. It's nice to have the instruments here. So from here it goes to here when you're in the dianas. This is normal functioning, all the senses working, hearing the voice, feeling the pressure under your body. Enter the dianas, and it's it's that way. They're functioning, same vibration, only the string, which was vibrating this way, right? That's this sound. Suddenly, gets bisected, and the pitch goes up. So the dianas work that way. It's you only more so at a different vibratory rate than ever before and providing a whole new access to the senses. Now, that's an analogy. Is it really that way? Do you have to play guitar to enter the, uh, the dianas? No, you don't. You could play mandolin just as well or banjo even, harp, violin. Same idea, same notion of vibration but at another level. So, um, in that sense, it's really not a trance. When you can meditate at this point, the the state is awake. You're not numb, you're not uh, zombie-like or in a piece of wood, uh, like a piece of wood. You're vibrating as always, but you perceive at a whole new level. So, that's where we were last time. And the, the dhyanas are one, two, three, four. First, second, third, and fourth dhyana. States of Samadhi. And they are another thing to note is that we mentioned last week that the Buddha entered, he became a Buddha, they say, from the states of the Dhyanas. But it's not like Arhatship. If you can enter the four Dhyanas, you don't necessarily, this is our code word, end birth and death. You don't transcend samsara into nirvana necessarily, although it's possible. You have to go through another level of accomplishment before you get to, to the actual transcendence of samsara. But the dhyanas are uh, a solid foundation in samadhi from which one can then go on to leave samsara, to end birth and death entirely. So that's what we looked at last week. And it can be a little confusing if you read about them, because sometimes, not always, sometimes the dhyanas are called the dhyana heavens. Chan Tian, Chu Chan Tian, Er Chan Tian, San Chan Tian, Si Chan Tian. The first, second, and third, fourth dhyana heavens. So what's that about? It's that this is, we call it the lore, the, the, the information, the stories, but more than stories, the, the facts. Lore can be the facts. The facts of Dhyana, which is what? When you enter those states, you're in the state that devas in the heavens live in all the time. How interesting. But they're devas above the desire realm. And right at this point, we have to kind of look at the roadmap of meditation, the roadmap that the Buddha described for us, which is what? If you are meditating and you're effective, if your meditation is starting to work for you, you gradually, bit by bit, vibrate at a higher level. And how do you get to that point? Well, the answer is, through virtue, through goodness, through purity, and through concentration. Those are the things, those are the the stepping stones that lead you to, to those higher states that take you into the same state that gods are in. Now, let me give you some of that lore. Where are the gods, according to the Buddha? Where do the devas live? And if you're, as you did, as I did, came through a Christian background, you don't talk about gods, right? There is one. That's the whole thing of monotheism. There's only one. Well, the Buddha talked about it differently. And many other religions do too. For example, Hinduism, polytheism. So the Buddha said, yes, there are three realms where gods live. They're called desire realm, form realm, and formless realm. That's that's the name we get. kamadhatu uh, rupadhatu datu, The realm of desire, form, and formless. jie Wu jie. They're called three realms. And there are gods in all those different levels. What would it be like? Well, we have something similar. You say, we have college graduates, we have master's degrees, and we have PhD degrees. And then we got postdocs, and the postdoc would be the Buddha, right? He's already beyond. So, and he's got a Fulbright, and he's studying in Thailand, right? Now, this Fulbright took him to some exotic place called Appalachia, right? A real foreign country. So, he's studying folklore there, right? How to cross living beings over. No, no, kidding. So, desire realm, form realm, formless realm. Gods are in all three of those realms. And... The gods in the desire realm have not entered the dianas. Okay? They're still in desire. How do you get to the dianas? How do you get to that level of heavens? You have to put an end to desire. That may sound like something nobody really wants to do. Right? I had someone say to me, but I live for desire. What is life worth living without desire? I like passion. And... I would say go for it. You know, that's a lot of people would agree. Otherwise, life has no flavor. But when you're tired of pursuing flavor, then come meditate. Okay? Because why? What is desire? Desire touches what? Senses. Touches the tongue, touches the eye, the ear, the nose, the body, and the mind. So as long as Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind are moving out into the world for different kinds of sensations. You cannot go from bond. You can't get to that higher octave because they're always going out. These, this vibration happens only at a single frequency. Analogy again. When you go to that higher frequency with all the, all the senses all six these are six strings we have six senses when you get to that higher one they're all vibrating harmoniously internally consistently as soon as you go out for sights out for smells sensations of touch it's a jagged vibration it's not consistent it breaks the frequency and it doesn't you can't go up to the next one So, you have to bring all the six senses back. Not that you don't touch the things of the world, but you don't go out to pursue them. That's the difference between the desire realm, the form, and the formless realm. Once the gods bring their senses back and refine and concentrate and purify their six senses, they can become form realm gods. What are they called? Brahma heaven gods. fan tian They go to the form realm. That's where they enter the first dhyana. So, what does that mean for us who are not gods? If you want to enter dhyana, consider eating less hot sauce. Consider watching, I know, I know. What do you got against hot? Buddhists don't like hot sauce. No, a lot of my Buddhist friends eat hot sauce. But if the food doesn't taste good without it, then never mind the dhyanas. Enjoy your hot sauce. Because why? You're addicted, you know. Like someone who's got to drink three cups of coffee every day or else something's wrong. I've been there. You're addicted, right? And life, your senses need external stimulus to feel whole. That's called an addiction. And every sense can get there. So, that's okay. The Buddha is not unhappy with us if we are addicted to, to French roast, you know, three times a day. But never mind Diana, right? Because you can still meditate, but you just won't get to that level of... where it's all in tune. If you can get to that realm of having all the senses be moving back and normal is good enough it doesn't have to have that little bit of flavor added that pulls you out normal's good enough doesn't mean you stop eating ice cream ice cream tastes great but just you don't crave ice cream and it doesn't have to be one flavor of gelato before you're happy or Ben and Jerry's it can be any kind of ice cream and a little bit and if you have it you're happy and if you don't have it you're not unhappy You can go right from ice cream to the dianas, I'm sure. (laughs) I can't speak from experience, but probably so. Where we go wrong is when it's got to be one way or else. Or if it's one way you hate or else. Right? Both desire and aversion will knock you right into the realm of the senses. Where it upsets us if it's not the way I want it to be. If any way it comes is good enough, your six senses are tuned, and you can enter the dhyanas. Gods do that. They're in the form realm, and in the form realm, there are 28 different levels of gods they talk about. Um, the, they're called Brahma heaven gods, and the first, second, third, and fourth dhyanas are all gathered in to that realm. And as the people who write about it, including our teacher who talked about it, that state, as we said last week, is extremely blissful. Really wonderful. Better than any Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor ever invents it. Times (laughs) ten. right? Times a hundred. All you can eat. (laughs) Better. Even better. Can you imagine? So, the dhyanas are, according to the stories, according to the lore, one of the the finest sensations that any human or non-human can experience. That's why it's a Deva God's state. It's a heavenly state to be in the dhyanas. You still function, you're still alive, um, although you're functioning at a different level. Your heartbeat stops, your lungs stop, your mind stops thinking right and you're still alive your circulation happens at a different level your respiration happens at a different level your thinking gets very refined and at the fourth dhyana you eat all thinking whatsoever stops which is not a bad thing and at that point your legs don't hurt anymore you can sit there and you don't have dreams of cutting your legs off at the knee and things like that none of those strange states so course you have to go through those states to get there mind you that's why patience is a gem so that brings us to tonight's text which is what this cultivator has gone through the four dhyanas is now going to the third realm called arupadatu the the formless realm there's more to go so the buddha gave us this map of the heavens that says there are three deva realms The the desire realm has six places. The form realm has 28. The formless realm has four. Four different stages of God's ways to be God's. God, singular, God's plural in the formless realm. What are they? He, she transcends all thought and form, destroys all relative thoughts, and does not have various thoughts. He, she enters boundless emptiness and dwells in the station of boundless empty space. Okay, that's strange English. There's lots of coded words in there. Let's see if, what it says in the Chinese. Here we go. Can you follow with me the Chinese we read, fourth line from the bottom? Chao yi che xiang goes beyond all form thoughts. Form thoughts means thoughts of things that have you know uh, substance. That's a formed thought, a tabletop, the body itself, the planet. He goes beyond all thoughts of form. He transcends all thoughts and form. okay? could be thoughts of form or form and thoughts. Next four characters, Mia Yo Xiang. Mia does away with, puts an end to, stops. Here it says destroys, that's pretty dramatic, but he just stops. 有对象. All thoughts of duality, things that are matched or paired, good and evil, friend and enemy, self and others, right and wrong, those are all thoughts that have pairs, matches, relatives, relative ness. Okay, so the mind no longer works in terms of duality, which is a big deal, because most of how we learn comes from um, balancing opposites. So at that point, you don't do that anymore. Next, Bu Nian Zhong Xiang does not think of, does not recall Zhong the various, the many all kinds of thoughts. So thoughts are done away with. That's actually a a very desirable state from the point of view of the Buddha. It's not that they don't work anymore, but they cease to work now by, you could say by volition, but it's not that there's anybody there to want it. It's just they they stop. Ru, wu bian, At this point, that verb here is ru, to enter, but it's not that you enter, it's that this arises, it appears. What is it? Wu bian shu kong, a state of emptiness that is boundless. So everywhere you look, although the looker is now very different than the thing that's looking right this minute, everywhere you look, there's this. In Chinese they say wan li, qing kian, wan li, wuyun. There's just no obstructions. It's completely spacious and infinitely spacious. Maybe some of you have had dreams like that. Maybe some of you have actually experienced this in your meditation. But for the Bodhisattva now, it's, it's a constant state. It's not sometimes yes, sometimes no. The Bodhisattva sees just in the midst of these orchids, it's still boundless empty space. It doesn't deny the existence of the orchids, but they don't they don't obstruct this vision. And tru, bien tru. Here's the first of those patterns. 住 is the verb which means stays in. It's always translated in these texts like dwells, but dwell is not the best English word. It means abides, stops, stays, rests there. The Bodhisattva rests in the something, something true. That's the word that they translate as station. Station is a funny word for for this translation. Station is the word they use in Australia where they raise sheep. Stay in the sheep station, right? Yeah, yeah. Stay in the sheep station, right? Station with a sheep, right? So... But this is not a station. You don't think of a station. Station is what the, where the train stops, right? The Berkeley Central Station. El Cerrito del Norte Station. So probably not the best translation. But you get the idea. It's a place. It's a stop along the line. Actually, train station is not a bad analogy here. The Bodhisattva is moving through the next level of meditative accomplishment. So the Bodhisattva stays in the place of... Shukong will be boundless, infinite space. That's the key of this this level, of this level of meditation. Space. Okay? Different from the next three. So remember space. This is a formless realm. It's the first position in the formless realm. It's where there's this space. So in other words, it's It's experienced as what? It's experienced as um, a, uh, as distance or as, it's a spatial trance. It's a, it's place. The first of these four is you experience it as place. It's a location. And there's, it's your part of this endless area. All right. So you got the pattern. The pattern is going to reappear in the next one. First, the verb again, 超一切, 虚空无边处, 入无边是, 住是无边处, He goes beyond what? 虚空无边处, the line we just had above. So now the Bodhisattva goes beyond that. So there's a sense of movement, right? The Bodhisattva is moving on. There's another level of meditation going on, which is empty, going beyond the place where space is boundless, comma, something else happens, ru bienshi. This now, the state arises where consciousness is boundless, a place of infinite consciousness. So what is it about consciousness? Consciousness is not a place anymore. If you think of a place as perceived as, as area, or distance or location now it's the thing located in that space consciousness so the bodhisattva is still aware of consciousness that is to say generated by the being not the place where the being is so you think of subject and object we know that so there's the the person drinking the tea right so Tea was drunk by the person. Tea was consumed. So there's one who consumes the tea, subject and object. Here, it's the space that the bodhisattva perceived, and now it's the perceiver. Boundless, infinite consciousness. It's not that there's boundless space, it's that I perceive everywhere. There's nothing but consciousness. It's not a self-directed consciousness, it's not, the ego is not here very much, but there's still a little trace, right? So he perceives, he becomes boundless consciousness. That's the second level. Who is this? This is a god. This is a deva state, right? It's still in the heavens. This is still a deva. And, true. here's the second one. The bodhisattva stays in this place where consciousness is everywhere. Okay? Now, why do we want to know about this? It's because each and every one of us has this roadmap deep inside. This is not invented by gods. It's not owned by gods. It's not, you don't have to buy a ticket to get on the gods train, the deva train. It's not. It's, this is a human experience once you refine your purity and concentration, in other words, precepts, concentration, on the way to wisdom. Okay, that's number two. Still following? Still got it? This this is an experience we can all have if we do the take every step of the Dharma path. Number three. Okay, let me read again here. true. Ru, Wu, Shao,所有，True,无所有True. So 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 Number three, the Bodhisattva goes beyond what we just had. Chu, shi, ubian, chu. That was consciousness, boundlessness, infinite consciousness. Now, he goes beyond the place of boundless consciousness, transcending the second one. Now he's in the third one. And what rises? Ru. What does he become? He masters. Nothing whatsoever. Not the slightest thing existing. So, space is gone. Consciousness is gone. Another level. Another level. There's this progressive movement here. And he stays in wu soyo chu. A place where there's nothing. A place where there's nothing at all. Wu soyo. He... Stays in the place where nothing whatsoever exists. Wu Soyo. All right. This is actually uh, Mandarin. This, these are the language here, is really understandable for somebody who, who just speaks normal Mandarin. This is a, the Buddha telling us about meditation. Okay. This is high-level meditation. Although, you could say it's it's. It's advanced beginner meditation compared to what's ahead, compared to the samadhis, compared to what the, the, the states that, that bodhisattvas and buddhas can get into. This is the third ground of ten. So it's, this is accomplishment for sure. If you can do this, you've got gongfu. fu. You're more than a weekend meditator. Okay? You're not an after-work meditator. You, you have to give more time to it than, than that if you really want to reach these states, but you can't. Okay. So turn over now. Number four. Here we go. Chao Yi Che Wu Soyo Chu. Fei Wu Alright? Wow. The next level and the last level of refinement for the formless heaven gods is goes beyond what we just had, the state of nothing whatsoever. And now the bodhisattva stays, abides, dwells, lives, stops in the, True is the last word, the station of what? This is complicated, but stick with me. fei yo xiang fei-wu-xiang, not having thought, not lacking thought, place. From the point of logic, that's very interesting. It's a place where you seem to think, but you're not really thinking. You're not thinking, but thought is there. It's that wonderful self-canceling non-duality, right? It's there, but it's not there. It's if you what are we what are we familiar with? You know the the two fish of Taoism, the twin. That symbol of the black and the white, it's got that dot of the opposite in the heart of the present. It's both there and not there? Yes, that's it. And this is one of the wonderful things about the Mahayana, in particular, Dharma, but it's also, it's not limited. It's also in the, the Pali Canon teachings. Master Hua used to use this all the time. And we got to identify this as the flavor of prajna. What is prajna? It's this state of interpenetrating without obstruction. So what would he say? How did that manifest? Um, I remember getting scolded once. For my my name as a young monk was Guo uh, Zhen fruit of being true and constantly real. And if I would mess up, which was regularly, Master Hua would come and say,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> How come? So the fruit of not true and constantly unreal. Why do you lie so much? Why are you so phony? He would say, I don't know, sir. I just can't even figure it out. It's like, that's the way I am, you know. And he would say, You really are you just how many lifetimes have you been like this? You really you can't accomplish the way being phony, the slightest bit of falseness will knock you off the dowel. Won't you understand?
1: Uh, sir, yeah.
0: And he would say, and Suddenly change. He would say, if you're going to teach people, you have to use all your skills. Why have you forgotten your ability to do plays and to to create theater? You have to use everything to teach living beings.
1: But Sherpa, you just said,
0: you know, and he would say, not easy, is it? (laughs) The Dharma is right there. Suddenly dropping all the, you know, the teaching faces and just saying, it's not easy, you know. Meaning, you know, it's a human endeavor and it's just that hard. On one hand, you can't be the slightest bit false. On the other hand, if you don't use your theatrical skills and be phony, you can't teach people.
1: <laughs>
0: so it's like, can't you just tell me how to do it, Shrivu, and I'll just, you know, do that and you can pat my head and say congratulations. Sorry. It's called the Buddha Dharma. And so, right and and then he would say something like, you know, if you want to really end birth and death, you have to become a living dead person. You go, figure that one out. Okay, I want to end birth and death. I want to go beyond mortality, which is coming for me any minute, the next breath. So what do you do? While you're alive, you have to die. What does that mean? Then he would say. I'm not suggesting you commit suicide. I want you to become a living dead person, which is to say, you die to desire, so that you see things come and it's as if there's nothing there. You don't shut your eyes and block them out, you just don't attach to them. You don't want them any longer. You understand?
1: Not really. <laughs>
0: Okay, he would say, you're still early, keep trying. And then, in the middle of a meditation retreat, he would say, 眼光行思内无有, Your eyes contemplate shapes and forms, but they don't exist within. The ears hear the sounds of the world, but the mind doesn't know. And then he would say, try your best. That was a constant teaching in China. You know, your eyes are there, open, watching things, but they don't exist within. They're not a feature of your desire world inside. The ears hear all the sounds of the world, you don't block them out, but the mind doesn't pick and choose among them, the ones you love and the ones you hate. Because you have been doing this kind of work. Right, So what does it take to get to be a god and enjoy all that incredible pleasure and just upping the ante of every flavor and every experience? Um, you have to, number one, have a lot of blessings, cultivate a lot of blessings, and number two, you have to be in the state of what comes is good enough not craving better, different, new, not hating same ordinary old. If you can be that, in totally engaged in the world, but not grabbing on to any of it, not expecting and anticipating the new, and not hungering and longing for the old, you're pretty much there. Then you still have to sit still and practice. And then he would say, not easy is it. You know, we are so attached. I told last week about our friend David who wanted to leave home but couldn't put down the New York Times and toast and coffee in the morning. You know, And he was honest about it. I really like my New York Times and toast and coffee in the morning. So I'll think I'll stay in the world a little longer, you know, so. And whose comment was, that's David, our novelist. Everything he does is slightly fictional, including leaving home. <laughs> 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 ha ha ha. You know. So, yeah, it's just that way. It's right within the heart of one, you have to find the other, and yet not be attached to it. What is prajna? Prajna is, in the midst of true emptiness, you discover wonderful existence. They don't obstruct each other. Sure, it's all empty. It's entirely empty. What are you... What lasts? Nothing lasts. Not our bodies, not our plans, not our wealth. And yet, you can't behave as if it were all empty. You still have to get up, get dressed, go out and try your best every day. That's prajna. Right? They don't obstruct each other. So here is the Bodhisattva, who is in this final, the fourth stage of the formless realm, which is the state of neither thought nor non-thought. What has he done? He has cultivated to the point where he doesn't think at all, and yet thoughts are not entirely gone. It's neither thought nor non-thought. It's another state, another function. Is it E? Is it A440? Yes, it's A440, but it's a whole different A440 than you're used to. Here's A440. That's it. 440 cycles per second. But for the bodhisattva who's been through this, he's hearing both that and... Can you hear the deeper one in there? Not really, because it's not vibrating. You can't quite hear it, but as my finger touches it, there's a third octave. I wonder if you can hear it. Let's see if we can do it. Pretty subtle. It only happens with the the deeper one. So, three octaves, three levels in there. And for the bodhisattva, I'm assuming, this is theory on my part, but the bodhisattva is able to be in all three of those at once. So we talk about Guanyin Bodhisattva, who is really a bodhisattva out there out there in in the Dharma realm somewhere, and yet Guanyin Bodhisattva could be manifesting as your best friend, you know, or your mother in law. Who knows? Even your mother in law <laughs> to come and teach you and to get you past your attachment. So, those are the four, they're called si, kong, chu, the four places of emptiness. That's another name for the formless realm. How interesting, right? These are God's realms. Isn't the Dharma interesting? I mean, if you go into Christian theology, I suppose Muslim theology as well, there's all of this talk about God. That's what theology does, the study of God And people have been doing it forever. As long as there have been letters and scholarship in the West, it's largely been about the sacred, about God and and all of his works. Certainly about Jesus, his God's son. But here in the Dharma, there's talk about God's state. And it's presented with access to it. Not only is it God's state, there's a variety of God's states. Right? Mostly in theology, we talk about, I mean, there's a lot. God's works, God's mm, realm, the kingdom of God, and all. But it's hard to get dimensions of it. It's hard to get the shadow from the the sun striking at different... Like a crystal, you hold a crystal up and you get green, yellow, blue, red, depending on how you turn it to the sun. The way the Buddha describes God's state has all those different lights refracted. And says, yeah, there are lots of gods and here's how they got there. And you can too. It's a really interesting approach to non-human beings. In this case, gods. Then the Buddha goes on to describe ghosts, hell beings, Asura beings, spiritual beings, dragons, and in all kinds of beings, as well as Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and humans in all their multiple facets. Okay, the last two lines say, Dan Sun, Dan Fa Xing The Bodhisattva only cultivates by according with the Dharma. He, she has no liking or attachment. Let's look at the, the Chinese word by word. Only follows. Accords with, flows with Dharma because, therefore, Xing practices, does the work, are, but Wu So has no liking for, attachment to. The Bodhisattva cultivates this way according to the Dharma. Whatever the Dharma whatever the map gives him, that's the way the Bodhisattva travels, but as he or she does so, still doesn't grab it. Still doesn't stop there. Why is that key? It's because all through the sutras, the Buddha says, heavens are great, don't go there. You'll love the heavens, make sure you get a round-trip ticket. Right? Las Vegas might be fun for a day, but keep your bus ticket in your hand. right? Don't hawk it for more chips. Las Vegas is no fun if you have to stay there. Right? <coughs> the heavens are nice. They're still within mortality. That's interesting to note. We didn't go into this formless realm. The gods there, they say, have no bodies at all. They're only... Consciousness, but the consciousness is distinct because these are four states of consciousness they still die at a certain point and furthermore there's a state in the in this, in this realm the formless realm where you can get really stuck and stay there for a very long time in a state of dull emptiness they say a state of torpor where it's very much the same, and your lifespan goes for thousands and thousands of years, and eons even. But you you can't move on into the into the the state of beyond birth and death, which is the next step. So that's why the Buddha says, you know, there's this is a a lovely state. Don't go there. Don't stay there. Sutra says, Bodhisattva does this according to the Dharma. You have to go through these states because the dhyanas, the four dhyanas, are really, really useful skills to master, to have that state of stillness. However, the Bodhisattva doesn't stop there. He doesn't like it. He doesn't attach to it. I wanted to share with you uh, Shrifu's commentary. This is commentary by Master Srin as he lectured on the, the third ground of the Ten Grounds back at uh, Gold Mountain Monastery. This lecture happened, I believe, in 1980, this, this piece of it. And, i sure who said Inside, there is no mind or body. Outside, there is no world. One sweeps away all dharmas and is free of all characteristics. At this point, the Bodhisattva is going through the four boundless stations, the four places of emptiness. The station of boundless empty space, the station of boundless consciousness, the station of nothing whatsoever, the station of neither thought nor non-thought. Here she enters boundless consciousness. Consciousness is completely without any boundary. For him, there's no emptiness, but he still has not emptied out consciousness. He also, let's see here. In short, all of the thoughts that the Bodhisattva has are emptied. He's passed through the four dhyanas and now she's in the states of the four stations of emptiness. Right now, there are people thinking, I keep hearing about the four dhyanas, but I don't understand what they are, and I'm even less clear about the four stations of emptiness. Please discuss them in detail. So, Sherfu is responding to somebody's thoughts he's hearing out there. The four dhyanas are states experienced through meditation. They are called the heaven of the first dhyana, which is also called the ground of the first dhyana. When that aspect of the heavens is is realized, the meaning is called naturalness. When you approach it from the aspect of the grounds, it means that there is still production and growth. The person sitting in dhyana sits there in such a way that inside you experience no body and no mind. You empty out the mind. You empty out the body but your self-nature still manifests. It emits a kind of light. That's called the stage of joy that leaves all kinds of production, all kinds of being behind. Production here, or I'm sorry, leaving behind here means you leave behind all defiled thoughts, all false thoughts, all afflictions. You leave them all behind. What is produced, what comes forth, is the resolve for bodhi and the wish to attain wisdom, along with an understanding of the mind, prajna. That's the first stage, the stage of joy that's free from any kind of further production. This is not a state that you can claim to have experienced when you really haven't. There is something that shows that you're in the first dhyana with its corresponding heavens. What is it? When this stage happens, as you sit in meditation, your pulse stops. Oops. Your pulse stops. All right? This is not something that you say is happening to you. Hey, guess what? My pulse has just stopped. You don't say that. You need to be verified, certified by a good spiritual friend, a spiritual friend who's already been to that state, that you've reached that state. Why don't you yourself know when your pulse stops, you have entered samadhi, you don't have any idea that your pulse has stopped. So if you say to, my, say to yourself, my pulse has stopped, that's a lie. As big as all creation. Why? How could you know? If you know your pulse has stopped, then it hasn't. The reason is because you're in samadhi when it happens, and you don't know. There's no self in there to know that, oh, my pulse has stopped. So you may say, I find out when I come out of samadhi then, right? And as soon as you come out of samadhi, your pulse starts up again. So how could you know that it has? So you might ask, well, how does the good advisor know that that's true? And Master Hua says, there are records. There are signs that you have experienced any state that you've been through. It's as if you took notes. It's as if it was recorded. When you've had such a state, all the Kalyana Mitra, all the good advisor needs to do is take a look at you. And he sees by your color that it's changed and so has your light. Your energy and your breath are different. You're the same person, and you still breathe in the usual way, but your chi, your prana, is not the way it was before. You cannot pretend, he says. I've been to the first dhyana. My pulse has come to a stop, says somebody. Master Hua says, and it's italicized. That's utterly shameless to say that. (laughs) You have to go through verification by a good advisor before you know. If you don't have your eyes open, you cannot be, you cannot pretend to be a good advisor. A good spiritual friend who has opened his wisdom eye must verify that state. It says, oh, you've reached the first dhyana. It's not something you say about yourself. So, If you say, I've already become a Buddha, did you know? I've already enlightened, I'm enlightened. Well, you can't certify your own Buddhahood. You can't verify that. It has to be verified by, some, by another one who has been there. Okay. It's as if you break a law and the police says, you've broken the law and you're under arrest. There has to be some evidence before that's true. Uh, you are innocent until proven guilty, says Master Hua. In the same way, somebody has to verify that you're awake, that you haven't been enlightened. The witness is the good advisor. He's been along that road before you and can verify. So, if you say your pulse has stopped, you're just trying to put something over on people. Um, who, would ex- who would have expected that when you take your counterfeit bills to the bank, people immediately recognize their counterfeit money. They see what it is. So, in the first dhyana, the pulse stops. In the second dhyana, the breath stops. There isn't any breathing anymore but again as master Hua goes through he says if you say my breath has stopped that's shameless if you haven't uh let's see here I feel like my breath has stopped you say but if you feel that it has that doesn't count if you are if you aren't aware of it if you're actually dead then that's what counts <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't really died your breath hasn't stopped when it stops, basically you have no self, no self to know that you are still breathing. Then there's a verse, and he says, if you wish never to die again, you must first become like a living dead person. That was the quote I gave you. A living dead person doesn't know whether she is eating, sleeping, or wearing clothes any longer. If you ask, are you, are you, have you slept? They don't know, etc. So in the third dhyana, thoughts stop. You don't have any awareness any further. You don't know anything at all. That is really not knowing. So you might say, what's the point of that? That sounds really pointless. Well, what's the point of being alive? Says Shifu. <laughs> this is Kung Fu. When you arrive at this state, you are no longer greedy. You have no greed, no greed for wealth, for fame. You have already put down sex, food, and sleep if you haven't put those down, you're not at that level. Uh, if you, let's see here. For when that finally happens, you're greedy for nothing at all. You have no impediments, no obstructions anywhere. Your thoughts stop, you don't think. Have any of you reached this level? If you have a wife, you haven't put her down. The same holds for your husband, right? If you have a husband, you haven't put it down. If you can't give up the wish for children, for daughters, for sons, then you haven't put it down. Those are called false thoughts, says the abbot. Not easy, is it? Right? So, and so, Shurfu comes on so strong, right? And you realize, wow, he really means this. This is not analogy. He means it. That's the level that you have to practice letting go before you enter these what? Advanced meditation states. If we're not there yet, doesn't mean you can't meditate. Of course you can. What are you talking about? You're talking about entering the dhyanas, ending birth and death? You have to really meditate. You have to actually meditate and really do it. You can't do it part-time and expect to get to the states of the third ground. But here's the news. You can't. And there are always a few people who, bit by bit, not all at once, gradually build up that level of stillness and purity to where they go, yeah, yeah, that state is inside of everybody. Mostly, we don't get there. Mostly, we do other stuff. Right? Very few people say, no, I want to do this. I really want to transcend my imminent death. That's what matters, and they go and do it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't meditate and become really good at it, and you will benefit hugely if you do, but it's not the same thing as putting an end to birth and death. The Buddha did it. He was the prince, right? Talk about affluence. Talk about comfort. Become a prince of India, man. You will enjoy comfort and a quality of life that very few people know, but he put that down in order to realize that, So, um, when you reach the fourth dhyana, there is fundamentally no thought. You are just about to merge with empty space, but you haven't quite. There is still the ground of purity, of renunciation of thought. Um, This is a fabulous commentary. It goes on. Shirfu goes, the next the next piece, where did Shirfu go from the states of Diana? Somebody once tried to claim that Buddhism was true communism. <laughs> well, says Shirfu, that kind of thinking is mistaken. Sorry. Buddhism has no party or no factions, it transcends the world. It is not worldly dharma. Ordinary people have parties and factions and isms, but there are no parties in transcendental Dharma. There are no isms. Anytime there are such things, it's because stupid people have dreamed up those problems. So he goes into discussions of economic systems right from the dhyanas. That's my teacher. Parties and factions, sects and schools are small problems. The big problem now is everybody knows is that science is considered so fantastic. I'll tell you something totally true. All the people who investigate science are stupid people. (laughs) Oh no, how did we get here? Those are like people who go to the sea to count up the grains of sand on the ocean bed. They'll never be able to come up with the total number. I know you don't want to hear this, but you're cheating yourselves. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. That's our teacher. He talked right to where we're attached. Anyway, so the bodhisattva cultivates by according with the dharma, and doesn't stop there. Doesn't like the heavens as nice as the heavens are. Doesn't stop there, because why? It's really easy to get attached to comfort the bodhisattva has not ended birth and death in the heavens still in samsara still spinning around in the wheel what's after the heavens come back as a human or not come back in the animals realm the the the, the asura's realm could be or get stuck in one level of the heavens where you can't leave okay Let's go down one more paragraph. We are going to remember we said we got to travel through this text because we're we're reviewing what the other lectured lecture. Is, lecture Second paragraph, page 54. 佛之實菩薩心水與池,廣大無量不二,無緣無對,無障無惱。Disciples of the Buddha, this Bodhisattva's mind accords with kindness. It's vast, great, and limitless. It's non-dual. It has no resentment, no antagonism, no obstruction, and no affliction. It pervasively reaches all locations to the ends of empty space and the limits of the Dharma realm. It pervades all worlds. His stay in compassion, joy, and giving are the same way too. What's going on here? The Bodhisattva has just been through the four dhyanas and the four stations of emptiness. This Bodhisattva is a real good meditator. But what happens next? Kindness happens next. Isn't that interesting? Like... To get to the, the meditative states that the bodhisattva experienced, what do you have to do? You have to empty. Empty, 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 empty. Empty it out. Then you empty out emptiness. You empty out the self. You empty out dharmas. You empty out attachments. All these things that everybody else wants to full fill up. Not let go of but fill up. The bodhisattva empties them all out and gets to this state of like everything's empty. right? And what, is, what happens next? Kindness heart comes next that's the opposites again, the two fish right, because from this empty, empty, empty the bodhisattva could become very hard uncaring disconnected right we've been um, at lunch here at the monastery we have really interesting conversations and we were talking about <clears throat> how Buddhism the Buddhist religion has never had a military force there's never been a Buddhist flag that thousands of men mostly marched with their weapons to go kill for Buddha right there's ne- we never shed blood for the Buddha under the Buddhist flag never then, there are scholars who say, ah, didn't you learn about Japan in the Second World War? How many of the kamikaze pilots meditated first doing zazen before they got on their planes to kill themselves? And there's something to that theory that the scholar who writes about this is a man named Brian Victoria who's an a excellent scholar and does all this homework. And, but he's He's picking up on a branch tip of the Buddhist religion, which is a manifestation in the middle of the 20th century in Japan, where there had been no precepts for 100 plus years, 90 some years, since 1868, when the Meiji emperor wiped out the Sangha and sent everybody back home and said, no more monks and nuns, no more precepts. We want you all to go back to lay life Because there are too many men in robes. Too much money in the monasteries. Too much gold in the images. We want it all back into circulation. So he sent the monks home, destroyed the monasteries, and melted the Buddha images for gold so he could use it. It's called the Meiji Restoration. From that time, there has been no Shila Samadhi Prajna, Precepts, Concentration, and Wisdom. There was Concentration and Wisdom. The first step was gone. Because there was no inner transformation, there was no sangha, the capacity for great compassion was also wiped out. So the Buddhist institutions didn't go away. They survived, but they survived without the water of kindness and compassion. So people could meditate to a place of emptiness. They didn't take this next step, which was all-pervasive kindness, what is the Bodhisattva's kindness like? Well, it pervasively reaches everywhere to the ends of empty space in the Dharma realm. No resentment, no antagonism, no obstruction, no affliction. That is not a heart that kills. It's easy if you miss the kindness to get to that place where you empty everything out. and It doesn't matter. Life, death, it's the same. I don't care. I didn't really kill those living beings because they weren't real. They're all empty, you know. Meanwhile, look at the grieving families. Look at the broken hearts. Look at the mountain of tears, the ocean of tears and the mountain of bones from the people you killed. Listen to the sounds of the slaughterhouse if you really think everything's empty. See how your heart feels And you'll understand that emptying it all out is one of those two fish in the Taoist yin yang, in the Buddhist yin yang. To make it the Buddha's teaching, you have to have both. Kindness is the counterpart of emptiness. Compassion is the counterpart of emptiness. Joy and giving are the counterpart of emptiness. If it's all empty, where is the joy well, right there, if it's the Buddha's teaching, okay. Once the Buddha, the Bodhisattva empties it all out, that's when he and she realizes that the universe is not cold. Where does love and joy, kindness and compassion come from? It's a gift from the universe. It's just as real as the emptiness, and you gotta have both. So Dharma warriors, no such thing if it's the Buddha's teaching. I manifest I maintain that that phenomenon that happened in Japan around the Second World War, where Zen informed men who went out to kill was no Buddhism. It was a crippled, boarded malformed teaching that lost its precepts with the Meiji Restoration. That's a fact. So that phenomenon, I think, lost authority to call itself Buddhism. It might have been a Japanese Zen manifestation, but that ain't it. What is it? What you just read. This is it. This is the Buddha's voice. That's almost. So if you get empty without heart, you're dangerous. Right? It's not all empty. Half of it's empty. The other half is completely full of kindness, compassion, joy, and serenity. The four limitless attitudes right there. So how important that this complete emptiness that comes through the meditation where you're sitting there, you know, it's like, my ears don't really exist because why? I can sit here and make them go away. Right? Sounds go right through. They're not real. Because I didn't, I heard that but I didn't hear it. It's thought nor non-thought. I'm not thinking at all. I'm just behaving. Slice as you cut somebody's head. Wrong. Right? So, this paragraph is really important to get the whole thing. The Bodhisattva's mind accords with kindness right at the point where emptiness reaches its peak. It's vast, great, and limitless, non-dual, no resentment, antagonism, obstruction, affliction. Right? This is the Buddhist teaching. The kindness follows right behind the emptiness. And they're one and the same. It's the back of the hand and the palm of the hand. So they say that the Buddha is adorned with both wisdom and compassion. Ar-yan. Wisdom and compassion. How about that? Any comments or questions about this? This is really important. Dharma Warriors is a sound bite. Mm-hmm. Yes, I see. I'm um, a okay, vegetarian restaurant in San Francisco. I think it's open right like, now. The founder is a um, member of the
1: dance center after uh, they sell wine. They sell wine.
2: Yeah.
0: It means then that they don't really um realize the importance of Christmas? Yeah. Chances are they're um that's that's Zen um not only in America but in Japan as well. It's Italian master. What's that? Italian master. Italian masters? Yeah. I see. Why? Why? So what Y C Y C just said that Phil uh, you want to try? It. Let's see here. Now everybody should get ready in case it goes Rawr! and let's see here. What YC said was there's a restaurant in Berkeley uh, or in Oakland or Berkeley? San Francisco. One in San Francisco that manifests itself as a Buddhist as a, is it Greens? Greens, right? Yeah, Greens has wine on the menu. Well, you know, there are Buddhists who would say, what's your problem? I like wine. Trungpa said that before he died of cirrhosis of the liver. (laughs) Well, that's what's wrong with wine, dude. (laughs) kill you. Never mind. You know. So, um, the, the thing about um, the, the Zen world is that they lost uh, the precepts and there are lots of stories Robert Aiken we you know the late great Robert Aiken one of the grand old men of American Zen started the Diamond Sangha in, in Hawaii, and Aitken Roshi wrote and taught that. They first got started in the 60s, and it was a bunch of hippies, mostly. We were there, and they began with anything goes. No holds barred, no rules. And people would go from the bedroom to the, to the chan hall, and from the chan hall to the bedroom, and swap around and within about a year and a half the place was in shambles it was chaos people would couples would be shouting at each other in meditation you know because their relationships were all messed up and he saw that there was no future Aitken was really sharp and had good roots and he said we're missing something Zen is not working the way we learned it so he started reading discovered that the Buddha taught precepts, concentration, and wisdom. The Japanese taught concentration and wisdom. He said, we need to start precepts. So he looked into the Vinaya codes and established a rule of behavior, rules of conduct, particularly between students and teachers and between students and students. And the Diamond Sangha righted itself and survives to this day. Spirit Rock has done very well because they early on, being founded by two former monastics set themselves up with a code of conduct and they're doing fine right, so what the Buddha actually taught was precepts, concentration and wisdom, which includes no alcohol, right, so you can wink wink and smile and then the next morning after you've had a couple glasses of wine, you you sit and you try to find your mind. The problem with with alcohol and other intoxicants is what it does to me. Not that the Buddha is unhappy with me because I smoked a joint or drank a bottle of wine. It's what it does to my mind. It puts it at sea. Try it. I mean, don't take it from me. Just go experiment. You know, get a head on and then go sit and see what happens. You will not be clear. I'm, I'm, my horoscope is very watery. I have a grand water trine, so everything alcoholic affects me for days. I, it immediately goes into my bloodstream. And I remember sitting back with my dad watching uh, the Montreal Canadiens and drinking Molson lager, Molson ale. You know, all Canadians do that. And, and you know, Vive le Canadien! And just three days later, I would still be, boy, gee, huh? So it's, you, it's hard to approach wisdom when you've got a mind that's been, a, a body chemistry that's been polluted by alcohol. It's a choice. It's a choice you make. And if you're really working hard at trying to see through the self, it's when you drink or smoke or use substances, it's like tying your shoelaces together and trying to walk. Right? It's obstructing yourself. And it, maybe it's fun for a while. Like wink, 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 wink. You know. We're, we're kind of relaxed around here. We don't take our Buddhism that seriously. You know what I mean? But after a while you say, I'm cheating myself. I'm actually serious. Meditation is really frustrating if I can't, if I just go in circles all the time. Come back to starting point. You know, So that's why you don't use intoxicants. But you go step by step. And you let it go when it's time. If it's not time yet, go to greens and be a Buddhist and, you know, fill them up again, lads. This one's on me. <laughs> this one's on the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dedicate the merit here. Good question. Anyway, um, The dedication of merit is in the back of your Dharma request sheet, or if you have a songbook in front of you, it's in the back. So you make a wish, put your palms together, and we'll, we'll share the mirror.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.